What goes on inside the mind of the Singapore consumer? The Kiasunomics podcast series unravels the way Singaporeans behave across different domains like spending, transport, environment, superstition, schooling, and housing markets. Backed by multiple research studies, NUS Business School professors examine the quirks, psychology, and mechanics behind the daily economic decisions of Singaporeans. So in today's episode of Kiasunomics podcast, we will talk about entrepreneurship in Singapore. Specifically, we want to look at the Singapore's promotion of the home office scheme and the role of digitization on entrepreneurs in Singapore. So let me start by the home office scheme. The reason I want to talk about this is during current times, a lot of people, for various reasons, because they feel like going into an office space or interacting with many people may be unsafe uh, as the pandemic is still raging on, or even after that, they might say, you know, who knows, why am I renting this space in this CBD, whereas I could have been doing work or providing my services or my products just working from my home space. This way, I can be more efficient, I can lower my cost. So let me get into it. So Singapore actually was a leader in trying to promote or foster entrepreneurship by launching this home office scheme. The idea was that it allows startups to reduce their cost and be more efficient by starting their business from their home premise. They just need to register their company under their home address and do whatever they think they're producing, either goods or services from there, and don't need to rent out an office space. Now, from an economics point of view, if you think about it, this has many implications. Any entrepreneur who is starting out will typically need to find a location to start their business. That itself is time-consuming and costly because they have to look for where the competition is, what are the rents in that space, what is the availability. I mean, we see this all the time. There are like four gas stations, petrol stations around each other. I mean, they all realize this is where all the traffic comes and this is the space we need to rent to set up a gas station. Similarly, if you are in the business of cutting hair, you want to know where your competition is. I mean, ideally, you might think I want to be far away from that, but you may also realize that that's where the customers go, so I want to be as close to where the space is. That raises prices. That raises the rental that you will have to pay to start your business. If you are going then to raise additional funds from a bank, the bank realizes the cost of your starting the business is very high. The bank may say, oh, the business is not viable anymore because I don't see how you will turn a profit in this business because just the rent itself will be very high. The bank may also realize the fact that there are three other businesses in that location. And if you set up this fourth business, there may not be enough demand. So your projection 
as a company by saying that we will have so much demand as a result of that, so much revenue. And as a result of that, we will be able to pay back the bank in X number of years may just not be viable. So you may not even get the funding that you require for the, for the business. But alternatively, if you could actually start your business from home, that lowers a huge amount of cost for you. I mean, you, are, you live in an HDB, you're already paying off the HDB. Now you can just set aside a room or part of a room where you can set up your home office from where you either provide some service or some goods that you import and then you sell them in the local market. And I know people who will import things from China, package them just sitting from their home office and be able to sell them. That reduces significant cost to them. Not just cost, it has huge benefits also. Imagine you are also a mother. If you were going into the office, you would have to rent a, like hire a nanny. The nanny will charge you. So now you are uncertain of the revenue you may generate from your office. But on the other hand, you're also paying a fixed cost for hiring a nanny. But if you could work from home, you could save the cost of having that office set up, but also you don't need to hire a nanny. You can take care of the child yourself while you try to figure out how to run the business. Obviously, it may not be as efficient for you, but if you're just starting out, that may be ideal because it allows you to reduce cost on both fronts, on hiring helper for yourself or for your home, and actually setting up an office space. So there are quite a lot of home office areas where Singapore allowed to set up a home office scheme. And what we did is we took data from Accra, and then we looked at what was the probability that after this creation of the home office scheme or the launch of this home office scheme by the government, how many new businesses were created in that sector relative to sectors that were not in this home office scheme program. And we see a significant jump in the business creations if that sector was designated under the home office scheme to the order of around 30% more businesses were being created. Now that's a huge boost to these sectors. I could just set up my own company from home. Now, there's a big difference by setting up a company and seeing if it's profitable or not. I mean, anybody could set up a company, but to make sure it's viable, it's a totally different story. So we started then looking at how are these companies that are being created under the home office scheme actually doing? I mean, it's difficult because the data that we were collecting does not allow us to look at their financial statements. It's just not there in the Accra data. But one quick thing we can look at is which of these companies actually died or shut down their, their offices after a certain amount of time. That's another measure, which is an extreme measure. One measure is that they're profitable or not. Other extreme measure is, could they survive or not? And we were looking for the survivability of the companies that are under the home office scheme 
relative to the companies that are not under the home office scheme after creation. In fact, we find that the companies that are under the home office scheme do equally well in terms of their survivability a year or two years later than the companies that are not. So that suggests that on this margin, that will they be able to keep themselves viable after opening up from home, will they be able to survive? Clearly, this is an extreme outcome. The right outcome then to be looking at is how are they profitable or not? Clearly, we don't have very good data on this front, but for whatever number of companies we could look at, the data on their financial statements, trying to understand do they survive or do they make profits, we do find that these companies are doing fairly well in terms of their ability to turn a profit working from home. And the argument is straightforward. Their cost of funding is lower. Their ability to generate external funding from a bank is also higher because now they can explain to the bank that because my cost is lower, I'm able to turn profitable quicker than if I was not running from home and I had to rent out the space. Secondly, my out-of-pocket cost of hiring a nanny or other incurred costs that I would have to take is also lower. I don't have to drive to this office that I would have rented out. I'm saving time. I am operational right away. Now, why am I talking about the home office scheme? This is important in the current setting, in the current environment we are living in. COVID itself will push a lot of entrepreneurs to rethink of what they need to do. You can think about what COVID has done is essentially pushed companies to allow employees to work from home. So if employees are working from home, as an entrepreneur, you may also want to be closer to the employees, which is being in their residential space. So the home office scheme is very good for certain kinds of entrepreneurs to say, why am I setting up a shop in the CBD or more commercial areas where my demand is not there anymore because my demand has now shifted towards the more residential area. And if I can set up my business right here, it not only helps me by lowering cost, it also allows me to find the demand which is now in the residential area. So the home office scheme is very important in today's environment where entrepreneurs can benefit enormously by setting up their businesses from their current home locations. And we will see many more entrepreneurs trying to take advantage of this. If I was going to relook at this data in the current environment, the effects are going to be even larger than what I documented for you earlier. The other way entrepreneurship is going to change is due to technology. Entrepreneurs will have to adapt to the new technology that is becoming more and more available. I mean, just think about it. If you go into a restaurant today, you're using a QR code to order, also to make payments. So the role of fintech will change the nature of entrepreneur. We can go back to what DBS did in 2017 when they brought in Pela, and that allowed small entrepreneurs to take in direct payments through a QR code device. So let me step back. 
What were entrepreneurs doing traditionally? They were either taking payments in cash or they were taking payments through plastic, either through a debit card, nets, or a credit card. Now, cash has its own disadvantages. You have to go deposit the cash as an entrepreneur into an ATM machine or into a bank. You have to withdraw cash because you have to also transact with your pliers. And you have to also give cash back to the consumers. So cash is cumbersome. It's also dirty. I mean, dealing with cash, you know, when you're cooking as in a hawker and you're actually exchanging money, it's just not very clean. Alternatively, you could be dealing in debit or credit. That's time consuming because processing that through your network, sometimes the network is down, sometimes somebody has a card that requires you to swipe it, that wastes time. Lots of effects are there in terms of getting your money paid by the merchant or the bank. It can be delayed by one or two or three days. So those are all kind of issues that a merchant or an entrepreneur has to deal with if they are dealing with plastic. Also, there is a cost. Most of these plastics are provided through a network, either Visa or MasterCard or some other networks. And these networks will typically charge around 2% interchange fee. A small merchant who is already running on very thin margins, if they are losing 2% on every transaction, that's costly. On the other hand, if they're dealing with cash, there could be issues of theft, there could be issues of mishandling or loss of cash. So on all of France, merchants of feel will have some leakage or some losses in dealing with this traditional two measures of payments. Now, adding a third means of payment through a QR code system like what DBS did through Payla actually has huge benefits. One, there is no interchange fee. There is no intermediation cost that you're paying. Two, when you get a payment, it's reflected in your bank accounts almost instantaneously. Three, you don't have to go to an ATM machine to withdraw or deposit cash. You don't need most likely a second employee who is just handling the register to deal with cash or deal with the plastic. People walk into your stall, they take a picture of the QR code, they make a payment. You can continue to serve them. If you're in a hawker center, you can continue to serve them. All you need to do is pay your attention once in a while to see if the payment is received. So it improves efficiency, it reduces cost, it reduces theft, it reduces losses that you may incur of dealing either in cash or plastic. There's other costs. I mean, just installing those machines of payments through debit or credit, Visa or MasterCard will typically charge you two or $3,000. That's a fixed cost a small merchant has to incur. A QR code setup, I mean, that's, that'll cost you maybe a dollar to create your unique QR code that allows you to link it up to your bank account and you receive the money. So a merchant will clearly love to adopt the QR code technology because they benefit. They don't have to deal with cash. They don't have to pay a lot of money to intermediaries like Visa and MasterCard when they have to deal with plastic. Then you might think, 
wow, if you think it's so straightforward, why aren't all merchants adopting it? Clearly, this is not a single-sided market. There are other players in this market. There are consumers and there are banks. Consumers may actually not necessarily prefer dealing in QR code. They may prefer to deal in plastic, especially credit cards. Credit cards provide consumers benefits. There is always some promotions that are given by merchants or banks using credit cards. There could be 2% cashback. There could be other points and rewards you may earn using your credit card. So the acceptability of a QR code from a customer point of view is not obvious and it's not straightforward. Also, banks may like to retain their credit business because it's highly profitable. The banks may want to get rid of the cash business because cash is cumbersome, it's costly for banks to deal in. So you can see the tension. Merchants want QR code technology because it's less costly for them. The banks and customer consumers may not necessarily like it. They may move towards it, but it's not obvious that they will wholesale adopt the QR code technology. So there's cost savings for the merchant, but they also have to now be cognizant and realize how do they nudge their customers to switch. And one way is they can just say, look, we don't accept credit or debit. Or another way is they say, look, we don't take cash because there are some issues of theft in our uh, space before and we have stopped taking cash. And they force the customer to only pay through the QR code technology. Uh, they may lose some customers, but the business might decide it's worthwhile to, to lose those customers, but to increase output or efficiency by the QR code. And that's where a lot of merchants are moving towards. They are saying, we will actually literally force the consumers to change their behavior. That may also end up forcing how the banks deal with them or even Visa and MasterCard because Visa and MasterCard may realize that I cannot charge 2% because the merchant is not willing to pay me anymore and they may actually reduce the interchange fee to 1% or even less than 1%. So you can see the entrepreneur in that process will benefit. The banks will benefit also because they will end up doing less cash business and moving more towards electronic trans uh, transactions which are easy to keep track of and easy to follow through. The government and policymakers will also like to get rid of cash for various reasons. One, there is transparency, there is accountability, there could be less tax evasion and other kind of activities when you deal with cash. I mean, cash is by nature anonymous. Once you have given it to somebody, there is no way to say who, who gave the money or who, who it came from. So, and governments don't like those kind of things. They want to see the chain of custody so they can understand, uh, realize for various reasons, could be terrorism, could be corruption, that once they have the chain of custody, they know that the money was clean and it was not inappropriate or illegal transfer of funds. So you can see how entrepreneurs will benefit. Now, obviously, I'm saying this because we have actually looked at this, the DBS experiment 
in, in Singapore where they launched uh, Payla and we find huge acceptance by merchants of Payla and huge amounts of traffic that was being driven through these merchants of because of adoption of Payla. So clearly in this setting, we find that the QR code technology helps small merchants in Singapore to not only grow, but become more profitable. So in this episode, I've laid out two different things. One was looking at the home office scheme where we looked at data in Singapore and showed how the home office scheme helped entrepreneurs become more efficient, reduce their cost. And the second thing we looked at was the introduction of the QR code technology and how it helped small businesses actually become more profitable because the QR code technology reduced their cost and increased their efficiency. So these are a few examples of how technology change or regulation change will help entrepreneurship in Singapore. And we'll expect much more of this kind of things happening in Singapore in the future because efficiency and productivity are a key to the success of Singapore going forward. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned as we bring you more interesting research-based insights on a wide range of topics in business and economics. Subscribe to our channel now.